Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. In today's show, we're interviewing Lane Kawaoka, the engineer who's passively investing in real estate. He is controlling over 2,600 units across nine states, and he's also the host of the Simple Passive Cashflow podcast. Now, today we're going to talk to him about passive investing secrets for working professionals. And this is really because it's important not only for you to make a great income, but for you to find a way to turn that income into assets that produce income for you. That's the way that you can achieve time and money freedom. Now, this is just one step in a bigger journey to time and money freedom. And that's why we created the three-step cash flow system to help you create time and money freedom. First, you keep more of the money you make, then you secure and protect that money. And finally, you turn it into more. Now, today's conversation, we're really going to focus in on those investing secrets for somebody who is wanting to create what many call passive income, or we call income from assets, and really being able to figure out that path to financial freedom. So here's a little bit more about Lane Kawaoka. Lane is a licensed professional, a PE, with a master's degree in civil engineering with an emphasis in construction management and a bachelor's in industrial engineering. Now, he has managed over $230 million of capital construction projects in both the public and private sector. But aside from his day job, he also controls two manufactured home parks and 15 apartment buildings and one assisted living facility, totaling 2,600 plus units across 10 U.S. markets. Now, Lane's passion project, simplepassivecashflow.com, is a free podcast and online learning resource in passive real estate investing. Now, in addition to mentoring, Lane also partners with beginning investors who want to build their portfolio but are too busy to handle direct investments. He uses his engineering mind, his investing knowledge, and the network of crowdsource due diligence through the 2,600 plus members of the Hui Deal Pipeline Club. Together, they've placed over $15 million worth of capital. Let's go ahead and dive in. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall, along with my co-host, Bruce Weiner. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. Here we are today in our international podcast as we interview uh, someone directly from Belize. We're trying to bring uh, our podcast to everybody in the world. Um, so we're very, very happy to have Lane here today and all his expertise on how to uh, have simple passive cash flow. Absolutely. So today we do have a very special guest for you. This is Lane Kawaoka. Lane, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, let's jump right into your story and kind of how you got started. So tell us a little bit about who you were before simple passive cash flow. Yeah, so I graduated college back in 2007 up to that point. Um, Pretty much like any other person walking a linear path that I call it, which is you know, you're told to go to school, study hard, get a good job, and then work for 40 or 50 years. And mm -hmm. hopefully you'll retire at that point. Um, but after graduating mm -hmm. college, um, I, I was an engineer. And I you know, just saved my money to buy a primary residence. Again, that's what everybody's told to do. 
And because I was traveling all the time for work as a construction supervisor, I was never home. So about a year of doing that, I realized maybe I should try and rent it out, get a little side cash on the side. And then I realized um, what I had done, that I had kind of created a little stream of cash flow there. Um, the property was 350000 nice. and it rented for 2200 and the mortgage was 1600 So for... You know, in my early 20s, that was a lot of gear money at the time. You know, a few hundred bucks <laughs> coming in every single month. Yeah, absolutely. So is that your first taste of, of passive income then? Exactly. And then at the time, I really didn't like my job <laughs> as an engineer. A lot of travel. Yeah. You know, nobody really likes their first job, right? They kind of stick you in the worst positions. And I, I just realized that was my ticket out of that lifestyle. Yeah. So then how did you get started uh, from that single family taste of um, passive income from that home? What was your next step in real estate investing? Yeah. So then I, then I realized like I need to just kind of keep saving money and buy more assets, more of these properties. Um, that first property was an A-class rental in Seattle. Um, you know, two big no-nos there. You don't buy A-class rentals and you don't buy them in primary markets. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, at that point, I started devouring all the podcasts. Sure. And, you know, that's kind of why I started to make my podcast so that, you know, people would learn this stuff and then, you know, read a bunch of books and, um, you know, kind of dodge all those education programs out there that are like 10, 20, 30 grand and just kind of learn it on my own. And, uh, you know, I, 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 that's what I kind of did the next five, six years to get myself up to 11 rentals. So you mentioned then, uh, and Bruce brought this up a little bit before the show as well. So how did you figure out which programs were valuable? Yeah, so you know, like I mentioned, I bought an A-class rental in Seattle. Um, A-class is sort of luxury. You know, these are for you know mm-hmm. more owner-occupied properties. You don't have the rent-to-value ratios necessary to for the cash flow. And maybe I'll, I'll define rent-to-value ratios. Us investors, we use it a lot. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, please do. Yeah, so you take your monthly rent and you divide it by the purchase price of the property. So, for example, $1,000 monthly rent divided by $100,000 property, which we typically target a lot as starter rentals, um, that is 1%. So you're looking for that magic number of 1% or higher to be able to cash flow. So a lot of places in primary markets like Seattle, San Francisco, Hawaii, New York, Boston, it's just not going to work. You're not going to find these rental properties that will rent for that 1% or higher. Typically, you're going to find more properties that are $400,000 that will rent for $2,000 a month. That's half a percent. So Mm -hmm. no bueno, it's not going to work there. So I'm very familiar with this lane because I do live in the Midwest. So Kansas City, St. Louis, Indianapolis, Memphis, Birmingham, Jackson, Mississippi. These are all places that have more of these 1% or higher uh, rent ratios. Right. So once you look into those, we call those secondary markets, um, you know, Kansas City, Memphis, Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis. Um, and then, you know, these days we're sort of looking into tertiary markets you know, places like Huntsville, uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana, uh, Waco, Texas, for example. Um, just because the market's pretty hot, and we've, we've kind of got to get away from the crowds for sure. 
um, to get those rent to value ratios. And, you know, another thought is, you know, I try and stay to rentals that rent for $800, $900 or more. Um, I'm sure you can find properties all day that are fifty, sixty thousand dollars that rent for seven hundred. But you start to get into the more C and D class rental types. Um, I try and stay below the A class and above the D and C class. There's sort of a sweet spot there in terms of tenant quality. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. I know we've talked about that on some previous shows as well. So kind of the B and C class being you're you're out of the um, the worst neighborhoods being the D class, which you're probably going to end up having too much rent turnover and too much crime. Uh, the A class being the luxury that you were talking about, right? Right, right. You, you got to kind of find your sweet spot in there and hit your rent to value ratios. Yeah. So how did that path look for you in terms of learning that? I know that you ended up, um, I think you had a after your first A-class apartment, you said you had a duplex about three years later, and then um, you moved into the second the secondary markets um, really at that point. What was the, how did you figure out that you needed to move out of the luxury A-class investing? Yeah, so my, my second property was a duplex in Seattle. It was a A-minus property. It was $250,000 and it rented for $2,000 a month. Again, not up to that 1% rent-to-value ratio. A little bit better, but not there. Um, about that time was 2012. So people remember that was when thing, prices started to come back up. And I was looking for more properties to buy that third property, and I wasn't finding anything. And I thought my life as an investor was over. And oh. I, <laughs> I found this uh, turnkey rental option that you know, these guys, they'll these are fix and flippers out in the Midwest or the secondary and tertiary markets. They'll fix these properties up, um, replace all the big components like the roofs, the water heaters, the flooring, electrical, get it ready for a tenant. Some will even put a tenant in there for you to make it truly turnkey. And at the time, they were selling these things for like $90,000 that are rent for $1,000 a month. So, you know, I, I, I never visited any of these things. I just bought one and it worked. So I did a 1031 exchange and I sold those two properties for nine properties. And as I soon as I knew it, I had 10, 11 properties um, across four blue collar states in 2016. That's excellent. So then, uh, so as you kind of started um, this ball rolling, I mean, you started gaining traction, you're building this real estate um, portfolio, not just one asset, you're not only getting a taste of passive income here, but now you're starting to really feel the income coming in. You kind of, you mentioned that you hit this, um, this cap in terms of how much you could get with typical financing. And uh, what did that look like then trying to figure out how to get more properties? Yeah. So I, um, you know, I was using these Fannie Mae Freddie Mac loans, which is considered conventional financing. They're sort of government subsidized loans. And another reason why, I don't know why everybody doesn't do this. And the government, the United States government subsidizes these, these uh, rental purchases via the loan for lending pretty heavily. But they, they'll, they'll cap people at 10 a person. So what a lot of couples will do, they'll get 10 in their name and 10 in their spouse's name and then get 20 that way. And. You know, that, but the, for me, the writing on the wall was like with 10 properties, which, you know, is a pretty good sample size, you know, as an engineer doing my own little um, 
self-study here. <laughs> um, 10 properties, I had an eviction or two a year, a big catastrophe that happened every few months. And for what? You know, a few, few hundred dollars of cash flow per property or three or $4,000 a year cash flow. Not bad, but definitely nothing that I was going to uh, live a lavish lifestyle in Hawaii and fly to Belize whenever I want or wherever I want. So um, I needed mm -hmm. to kind of pivot from there. And that was when I started to invest in apartments and invest in other asset classes via syndications and private placement. That's excellent. So what did that look like for you? Can you define kind of what syndication is? What is private placement? Um, and how did you make that jump from single family over into the syndication private placement? Yeah, so syndication is a group purchase where a lot of investors will go and buy a larger property. So I'll use this last one that I did. Um, it was like a 300 unit in Texas, in El Paso, Texas. And again, that's a, I call it a, ter a tertiary market. But it was a great deal. I think we got it for about 40000 a unit. And it already rented for like 1.5 rent to value ratio. So it was already renting for like 600 a unit. Uh, we could put a, probably a little bit of rehab into it, maybe about a few thousand dollars into each unit, and then bump the rents up um, by $100, $200 per unit. So, you know, those deals don't come around very often. And there's, they're out of reach of mom and pop investors who typically don't buy anything more than a couple million dollars. So what a syndication will do is it'll be a lead investor that finds the deal, they find all the financing for it, they put the loans in their name, they pretty much do all the hard work. They actually do do all the hard work. And 50, in that case, 50 or 70 investors will come in, each investing at least $50,000 will come into the deal as passive investors or LPs or living partners, and um, they'll split the returns. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. Um, people will call it similar to like an airplane. And in the airplane, you'll have the cockpit with all the general partners. You may have one general partner. You may have five, six, or seven of them doing different roles. But in coach, you have all the, the limited partners. So they just put in their minimum investment, and they sit down, and they go to sleep, and they cash their checks. <laughs> <laughs> so... That's so great. All these, so, um, you know, these private placements, that'd be one private placement. Uh, it's kind of like a, it's the country club, the country club deal. So accredited, high net worth individuals will typically have dozens and dozens of these deals under their belt, not investing anywhere, any more than 5% of their net worth into any one deal. So it'll be very diversified. That's excellent. So it sounds like you found a way then to not only build a community of people who are working together, um, but what role did you play within that? Were you investing in other people's deals or were you the lead on the deals? Or, yeah, I mean, or what did that look I, like for you? I went and tried to study to be a lead. I wanted to be the operator because for me, it was just, you know, it's kind of just like how I went to college, right? I just followed the, followed the breadcrumbs. Um, I got about a couple years into it and I analyzed a couple hundred deals that didn't make any sense. And I realized that I didn't live near the deals. At the time, I lived in Seattle, and, I, and now I live in Hawaii. And to be able to do these deals and operate them, you need to pretty much live right in the same city or go to the property pretty often. And second of all, although I ran single-family homes, you know, 10 of them, 11 of them myself, 
I didn't like doing that. That was sort of the end of the road for me in terms of being an operator. Don't get me wrong, I'm still an investor, but mm. you know, being more on the hands-on. I mean, why did I start to do this in the first place? Yeah, I wanted to quit my job, but it was more to create a lifestyle where I didn't have to do much. Right. Yeah, that, that simple passive income or the name of your podcast even uh, is really what you were looking right. for, it sounds like. So let's pivot a little bit here, but what about for the person who is maybe a working professional right now, they're a business owner, they either own their own business, or maybe they're even working for someone else, and they want to get into that position of saying, how do I get assets that are working for me? Or how do I take this pool of capital? Maybe I've built up $100,000, dollars $300,000, and I want to put this into investments somehow, and I want that to create cash flow for me. How would you recommend that they get started? It sounds like you had that path from single family over to the syndication side, what would you recommend for somebody getting started with passive income? Yeah, so I talked to like over a thousand people on the, the same question. And it usually comes down to where is your net worth currently and how much money are you able to save every year? Um, I've got, I've pretty much broken it down to if your net worth is over a million dollars, I think it's no question you should probably go straight into private placements and syndications. So you need to be finding those country code deals out there that are hard to access if no one in your network is in those groups. Um, but for the rest of us and where I started, you know, just I wasn't in debt, but I didn't have very much money graduating college. I believe that the best way to get started is just with a single family home yourself and with one of these B or C class rentals and possibly have it be a turnkey where all the big components are just, you know, working and you just kind of hop into the seat. I agree. I agree. And I think uh, just to make sure anybody that's new to our podcast is jumping on, turnkey investing is basically where you are uh, going to directly to an investor that purchases a home, a home usually in a, um, in, a, in, a, in a community that is, has these good rent ratios like Lane was talking about. They fix them up. They they uh, a lot of times will replace the roofs, the the uh, HVAC, the water um, the water heaters, and do some uh, flooring. And then um, they will actually do the property management for you. So you're actually just putting the money down, obtaining the mortgage. Oftentimes they get, they'll help you with that too. And then they'll property manage the the place for you also for a small either percentage of the rent or a, a set. Uh, fee every month. So Lane, that's exactly what you're talking about, where you're just putting up the the money, the down payment for that particular property. And then you could actually just sit back uh, hundreds of miles away and get the cash flow off of that. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a couple couple of pointers I'll add in there um, that I tell my, my mentees, you know, usually we try and find our own property management companies. I, I usually don't like to work with the same okay. provider. Because I believe there's a little bit of conflict of interest and you need to kind of find your own folks to work with to operate it. Um, sorry if you buy it from them. Interesting. You know, just find somebody to operate it. Um, but, you know, these turkey providers are kind of hard to find these days because if you think of it from a life cycle of a flipper, once you do these turkey properties and you get a little experience under your belt, it makes more business sense for a flipper to go flip higher end retail. So they kind of... Mm -hmm. um, and stop working with a, 
us uh, cheapskate investors, <laughs> more emotional buyers to work with, which is good for them. But it makes, um, you know, that's why I kind of created this community where we're kind of on the, on the pulse of things and we know who to work with because, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the, pro- the property management companies are the key to this whole thing that I found over my career. Um, and I do agree there, there could be a little bit of conflict of in- interest in there, but I do think um, there are certain turnkey providers, obviously, that do a great job of property management, actually having a separate division. They actually incent their people properly to uh, make sure that they keep their buyers happy. Unfortunately, with those, they often are they often do such a great job that they have a waiting list that you have to get on to actually obtain properties. And um, I tell people all the time, don't be afraid to get on a waiting list because there's probably a reason why there's a waiting list because they're, they are very, very good. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know those comes with the waiting list. We usually try and stay away from them. I mean, they, they like to play those scarcity tactics and typically they have a big following and, you know, this is the name of the game with turnkey rentals. I mean, there's just so much competition. You know, they have, they have people lining up around the block. And, but maybe, you know, if your net worth is, is pretty high and you, you make a lot, you make $300,000, like some of my doctor investors, you know, maybe you have no problem mm-hmm. overpaying by five, 10 grand, right? You're paying for um, reliability because time is money. But for someone who like a poor engineer yeah. just getting started, barely 50 grand to his name, you're going to need to optimize every single dollar. So I think that's, you know, you mm-hmm. got to figure out where you are in that slider. Right. Yeah. And I like that you bring that up as well, because I think sometimes people also on the other side of things will say, oh, I want to get into real estate. So let me just go find my own property, which you did as you started. Uh, Sometimes they can make a lot of mistakes or have a lot more cost than they had expected, or they try to be a general contractor to fix up the property themselves without the experience. And so they can avoid a lot of those short or shortcut and avoid a lot of those mistakes by working with somebody who is a turnkey provider or possibly somebody like you as well, who has a lot more experience. But I was going to ask you uh, a couple of questions with that. If you are looking to manage properties remotely, you mentioned having some best practices on that. What would you say are some of the most important things to know about managing properties remotely if you're going to be going that route? Yeah, I mean, first off, I mean, you're going to get gouged on pricing, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, it, it's different than if you live there. So just build it into your yeah. underwriting from the get-go, that your maintenance is probably going to be about 10%. Your CapEx is going to be 10% of your income. Um, you just assume that fifty, at least 50% of your revenue is going to go to expenses. may not go this month or next month, but initially you know at some point the roof or the hvac will go out and you'll have to pay for that out of pocket but other than that you know it's it's no different than just keeping people accountable and i think a lot of us corporate workers who don't see our bosses every single day and you know work remotely via email i mean we we live this every day i mean keep emails you know Hey, Bruce, for our discussion, this is what we discussed, this is our plan, you know, and then send it into the future and keep them accountable. That's great. And if not, fire them, get another property manager. Yeah, I'm sure you've had to do a lot of that as you've invested across multiple states where you didn't live. So I'm sure you've learned that through trial and error. Right. 
So, what- but it, it's it's difficult as a remote investor. I mean, you got the you got the card stack against you. You're not there. There's really not not too many options for property management. Good property management companies that will do BNC class properties for you the right way. Hmm. Uh, and ultimately, that's why I'm you know I've sold off seven of my properties last year and selling off the rest this year to put it to be more of a scalable syndication and private placement. So on that note, I just got, uh, I just got tired of paying $900 plumbing bills. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. It's kind of like when you take your car into the shop and they say, Hey, you need to fix this. And you're, and you're not a car person. You say, well, do I really need to fix that? Or do I not need to? Well, they're telling me I need to, so I must trust the professionals. And you're, yeah, you're saying, well, it's like flushing those fluids. Yeah. You know, I went on the internet. You don't need to do that. The heck are you guys talking about? <laughs> so if somebody, I'm sure you talk with people about this all the time. I know you have a lot of people that learn from you through your podcast and probably other ways as well. And we'll talk about that at the end. But what do you say to somebody who says, hey, look, I really want to do this as fast as possible. Maybe they right now have a lot of investable income, or maybe they're in a situation where they do have a big pool of capital that they're working with. How do you help them accelerate this path to getting the passive income? We like to call it income from assets. We don't believe there's any truly passive income because you're still doing some of your own work as an active investor. But but how do you accelerate that path and more quickly move to having enough income from your assets to be able to replace your income? Well, I mean, it's all about building relationships with other people. And your network is your net worth, as they say. Yes. And unfortunately, a lot of the, you're looking for passive investors to kind of pick their brain. Passive investors don't really hang out at the local RIA. Like how they say, go to the local RIA. But the local RIA has just a bunch of broke people most of the time. <laughs> yes. That's why they go there. You know, they're trying to get unbroke and they hear real estate is a good way to do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I went to the local RIA when I first started and I just got an icky feeling all the time. So I went on a bunch of internet forums, but again, that's the same thing, you know, just a bunch of broke people running around trolling internet forums because they got n- nothing better to do. <laughs> um, and I find that passive investors, they're pretty decent people. They got families, they got lives, they're, you know, they're working 100 jobs and above 70 hours a week, mm-hmm. they're contributing to society. Uh, but I think you just got to keep at it. You got to find one person and, you know, add value to them. Don't just... Who's your property manager? Who's your turnkey provider? Who's your insurance guy? You know, you find these guys all the time, you know, these guys who just take, 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 take. Mm. Um, but the key is the long game. You got to find people that, you know, just buy them lunch, you know, even, you know, you, you can even be short sighted and just buy the guy lunch and that might even work. But you know, find and build relationships and then you'll find that, you know, once you've, you've built a few good relationships, those nodes will bring in, will be connected to other nodes within this whole real estate sphere and this at at some point you'll find everybody knows each other yeah and you'll figure out who are the bad players as long as you create your your network so it's not education a lot of the education projects out there and groups you'll just find a bunch of other people in your shoes Um, it's about finding other experienced investors who are very hard to find again because they they value their privacy too high network. Yeah. So you've um, found a way to do this. And I know that we'll share that at the end as well. I want to find out how you're, um, how you are doing that through your pipeline club. But 
at this point, what would you say your goals are right now? What type of investment deals are you working on and what are you looking to accomplish with them right now? Yeah, so I have a few criteria. One of them is cash flow only day one. So I don't do any development nice. deals. Well, I'm not going to say I try not to do development deals. I've done a couple, but those couple are only like 5 10% of my whole portfolio. The vast majority of my portfolio cash flows sort of day one. So I'll look at like apartment deals and, and I'll get the P&Ls and I rent rolls and determine is this thing cash flowing today? Um, because, you know, when the recession happens, you know, a lot of those developments will go belly up and the only thing that will be surviving is cash flow. Yeah, you know, maybe you're not cash flowing the 8 to 10% in a recession, but maybe it'll go down to maybe 5 or 6. Awesome. Perfect. I'm still moving forward. Uh, for me, it's more about capital preservation than making a killing. And, you know, with those longer term assets, you know, you get the better tax advantages too. It's more passive income um, from a tax standpoint. So, and then also, you know, I try and diversify around different asset classes like apartments. You know, in this country is a, a shortage of uh, workforce housing, CMD class, housing for regular people. So I like that. I like mobile home parks for the same reasons. Um, just trying to look at it from perspective, like in a recession, how will this do? So for example, hotel investing, I don't, I don't like that. I mean, the returns can be explosive, but it can also bomb out. Ah, that's interesting because I've never heard of anyone on our show talk about hotel investing and now I know why. So that's just, that's interesting um, that you share that. You said you're looking for C and D, C and B class affordable housing. You're looking also to be able to improve the cash flow by uh, forcing appreciation in those properties, raising rents, and being able to lower expenses. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean that's why I like commercial real estate investing as opposed to residential because residential is based on the comps comparable approach on pricing. So it's like whatever the person down the street paid for and that other person, you know, it's, it's very emotional when, when the down market comes down 500 points, it, um, it just, there goes your pricing, uh, with commercial real estate, it's based on the net operating income, which is a product of right. income minus expenses. Very logical. <laughs> um, yeah. right. So, so like here, I mean, here's an example I like to use all the time. Like if you bought a hundred unit building, and you increase the rents by $100 per property, you've created 100 times 100 or $10,000 of extra income every month. Mm -hmm. And that's $12,000 a year of extra NOI you've created. So to get the value increase, you just divide that by the market cap rate, and we'll use a very high one, just be conservative with we'll call it 10 cap. And you just sort of created 12, I believe, yeah, I think $1.2 million right there. Mm -hmm. you, take, yeah, you take the how much you increase the revenue per year divided by the cap rate, 0.1. And you know, that's, that's forced appreciation right there on paper. Um, you know, easier said than done, right? Increasing those rents $100. But if you buy it under market to begin with, you're already halfway there 
all times. That's excellent. And also for somebody who maybe is not as familiar with the real estate investing, um, can you talk about what is a cap rate and how that, uh, just what is a cap rate? How do you arrive at that number? Yeah, so the cap rate is is sort of prevailing throughout the marketplace and it differs from different marketplaces and different some markets and in class of properties. So just off the top of my head, you know, I think a B class B class in Dallas today might be a five cap. So what that means is if you were to buy a property, you were to make 5% on your money without any leverage. Without any leverage, you said, correct? Okay. Right. And that's 5% on your money over the course of that year. Right, right. Every year. Of course, there's a lot of, you know, calculations and, Mm -hmm. you know, or not calculations, but things that can happen in that. But it's a quick and dirty way of comparing different buildings and different markets. And what's the formula that you use to arrive at the cap rate? So the cap rate is not not a formula. It's just, it is what it is for that market or some market. And asset class. Excellent. So, you know, this is where, you know, a lot of times where, you know, I'm doing my spreadsheet and analyzing the property. And it'll be a new market where I haven't been in, like Gulfport, Mississippi, for example. I, I kind of know what its similar market is. It's similar market to maybe uh, a Jackson, Mississippi, or another tertiary market. So I know it's a higher cap, like a seven, seven and a half. But I don't know exactly what it is. That's where you rely on your network to see who's investing down there and just ask them, hey, what are you guys using for that reversion cap with the cap down there? That's excellent. So um, I know that you are, you've talked several times about your relationships, your network, who you know, and that your network determines your net worth. Um, you've been working with, you've been helping investors through the, and I'm probably pronouncing this incorrectly, I'm going to let you pronounce it, Hui. Deal Pipeline Club. Um, can you talk about that? First, the correct pr- pronunciation would be helpful as I'm not in Hawaii. Um, and then what is that? And how do you use that? Yeah, so the, the Huido Pipeline Club is a, a club that I started to create um, when I started the podcast in 2016. Uh, a lot of investors came out of the woodwork and you know, they were buying properties in the Midwest where, you know, sight unseen, all their friends thought they were crazy for not buying in Los Angeles or Seattle, like how you're supposed to, I guess. And they would reach out to me, we'd schedule a call, which I still do today. And, you know, we'd get to know each other. And I would just add them to my list. And, you know, I would, we'd also connect on a Facebook, a Facebook group. And, you know, after a while, they just said, well, that's cool what you're doing. You know, we listen to your podcast, we follow your story, but it's just like, is there a way that we can just copy what you do? So that, that list is a way that, hey, I'm going into this deal, and then I'm just going to, people just copy. <laughs> All right. So Lane, you're in Belize right now, which is why we're being able to record this internationally, which is fascinating in itself. The technology can allow us to do that and allow you to travel from Hawaii to Belize. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing in Belize? I know this has to do with investments as well and really cool things that you're doing um, more than just in one country. Yeah, so I, I'm here to check out some coffee farms and some chocolate farm investing. Um, I bought a Delicious. Bought a parcel of <laughs> uh, coffee a couple years ago, and um, the way it works is you buy the land, and then the um, 
the operators they they run the operation for you so i don't do anything but i just nice. want to you know this is what i do these days I, I quit my job a couple months ago and because people kind of follow what i do i try and take the time to go here and visit this stuff i know it sounds horrible but um you know someone's got to kick the dirt and a lot of my folks you know they're, they're high net worth earners they don't have the time to go and travel to this stuff um let, let alone like you know it, it's just it just takes forever and they don't want to use their vacation on something like this um just got back from visiting a bunch of mobile home parks in the south so you know it, it's different when you get your eyes on it and you kick the dirt and you meet the people who are doing it it, it it's a lot, lot different than you know when the way i started and which i think is kind of a mistake people get entranced in data and they start to make their own conclusions and it's you know what's on the ground is totally different than what you're at home on your laptop. Mm. I like what, what you're saying on that. And I also um, heard it kind of worked in there that congratulations is in order. You said you just quit your job uh, a couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I bet that feels like a, a new chapter of your story unfolding. It, it's like the first week of college where you have all this freedom. You don't know what to do with it. <laughs> So you travel to Belize. That's a that's a good use of your time. I like it. And I said earlier, I said delicious. If you're looking at chocolate and coffee, I'm like you're you're speaking someone's language here. And at the same time, it's it's exciting to see um, that investing. I hope as you're listening to this podcast today, you're realizing that investing, even if it is in real estate, can look so different. It's not just a certain type of asset class. It's not just a certain market. It is coffee farms and it's uh, chocolate farms in other countries throughout the world as well. So um, just thanks for sharing that. Hey, Lane, I know we only have a few more minutes, but I have to ask you this question just to get your opinion. You know, a lot of people tout these self-directed IRAs as the way to get uh, started in real estate investing. What is your opinion on that? Uh, it's a little counterintuitive, but I'm not a big fan of self-directed IRAs. I would rather have my money outside of that stuff. And um, the reason why is, you know, you know, this is coming from a private placement syndication investor. Um, in those syndications, you know, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll do a cost segregation study and get bonus depreciation to right off the property in the first few years, majority of it, as opposed to 27 years. So I want the, that depreciation. So when I'm investing in my self, um, my retirement accounts, you don't get any of that, um, number one there. And then number two, mm -hmm. you also get um, subject to UDFI tax. You know, I'm not a lawyer, but um, my understanding is on the leverage portion, because a lot of these, these deals will use leverage. Um, you have to pay taxes on that that yeah, part i tried not yeah um, so it, it, just, it just goes to show just like you know like 1031s i'm not a big fan of those either you, you've got to get around real investors as opposed to these vendors that just sell this yeah, stuff actually, because they're going to tell you that it's the greatest yeah, I, thing i didn't know how you were going to answer that but i was hoping you were going to answer it like that because that's exactly how i feel about the whole thing and and it's yeah. you know you said earlier that you kind of felt icky going around these different groups and it's the same thing that I feel icky about, you know, I, I just think that uh, people don't understand the power of the cost segregation. They don't understand the power of depreciation and nobody talks about that in the self-directed IRA world. Plus then you're talking about the other uh, possible problems when you do this and you have to follow the letter of the law for the IRS so well. 
I just tell people, if you want to start something like this, stop contributing to your tax deferred account and start saving outside your tax deferred account and then eventually build it up like that. So you get the tax advantages. So, yeah, I, I agree. And I like your word. Right. icky. It's one of the icky things about the the real estate investment world um, uh, educational programs, I guess yeah. is the way you should say it. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll work with a lot of guys and, you know, they may have 500,000 in their 401k. So we'll work on a plan to strategically take that out slowly as deals come up um, so that their AGI doesn't blow up on them and they don't get into um, pay too much in taxes. But, um, I mean, I don't think it's a bad idea. Until, I mean, my strategy is invest outside of retirement accounts until I created my cash flow today bucket. When that cash flow to get today bucket gets filled, maybe with five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars a month, then switched over, you know, where I can't possibly spend all that money, right. you know, then start to then start to fund those retirement accounts. Yeah, and actually, uh, you know, I'm actually I don't know if you know this, I'm actually a financial advisor, and um, there are other ways to to actually invest in um, non tax deferred. I don't I'm not a big um, fan of tax deferred, but things that people would actually have cash flow in the future, a lot of private placement that aren't directly related to real estate um, that people can use for cash flow today and for cash flow, whatever retirement means for them. So there's a, there's a lot of creative ways to do that for high net worth investors if they want to diversify even outside the real estate land. So it's, a, it's an interesting um it's an interesting way of looking at things, but I think the common theme throughout both these real estate and other private placements is, is frankly, just cash flow. You know, not for appreciation, but for cash flow. Right, right. Which is which is really how we talk about being able to then build time and money freedom, which is much bigger than just money freedom or financial freedom, as a lot of people will talk about when you have cash flow from assets, but really being able to have control of your time, which you're, you're finding personally, this newfound time freedom that, um, that you're trying to figure out what to yeah. do with. So I love that. <laughs> so if somebody would like to work with you, what are those options? What does that look like? Um, how can they find you? How can they find out more information and get connected with you, Lane? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, for newer folks trying to get their first single family rental, I would say check out the first 20 podcasts that I've done. Um, they're sort of tutorials on buying turnkeys. I've kind of forgotten a lot of that stuff off the top of my head. Um, so I would prefer people there. Check out those first 20 podcasts. Um, but, you know, if you're if you're more of a high net worth investor, um, check out the podcast, get to know me, and then book a call with me. And uh, let's see if we're a good fit. That's excellent. Excellent. Well, um, and I want to also point out your website is simplepassivecashflow.com. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I'll make sure that we have that in the show notes as well. And I wanted to say it on the podcast for those that don't make it over to the show notes. So simplepassivecashflow.com. Um, well, Lane, thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Is there anything that you would like to share in terms of how you would recommend somebody build this life that they love, whether it's their business, it's the life that they love, it's the cash flow that they love. What's the number one life lesson from Lane Kawaoka on building the life and business you love? Uh, find other people. Don't just listen to podcasts. Actually call the people who are on the podcast. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being real with us. Thank you for being willing to take your vacation slash um, investor trip to Belize 
to talk with us this morning and for rearranging your schedule to make that possible. And we sincerely appreciate you, the message that you're putting out in the world, and all that you've been able to accomplish, not just personally for yourself, but also as an inspiration and as a how-to roadmap for other people who want to follow in your footsteps. Uh, Thanks for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Elaine. Now, in closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.